season we're doing weird stuff doing obscure stuff if you don't know it too bad and this one is actually <laughs> something you might probably know but this is definitely an experiment i'm going to freely admit that out there everyone on this podcast is aware it is an experiment but the thing is i had a long-running idea and it's kind of a concept that stuck in my head it has there been times when there has been a soundtrack that is better than the movie itself. And it's one of the things you don't really necessarily think about it, but I think about uh, the Jonathan Glazer movie Birth with Nicole Kidman and Anne Hayes. I'm like, it's a movie. It's a movie that you see, and at the end you're like, that was a movie. Uh, but the score by Alexandre Desplat, in-fucking-credible. And a lot of people know that the Twilight movies are dog shit, but these soundtracks, which have indie rock luminaries like Radiohead's Tom York and St. Vincent and Iron Wine, all artists that we've covered on a previous episode of The Chartographers, uh, are actually good albums. People like buy them in droves. It's a big deal. So I kind of wanted to put that theory to the test and be like, can you rank a soundtrackography? And we're going to find out right now, because if we're going to rank a soundtrackography, we're going to go to the best of the best. We're not going to fucking putz around here. We're going to go all the way straight to the top, because this week, that's right, guys, we're going to be ranking the soundtracks of the one, the only, the guy who is the shift manager at Jackrabbit Slims and all also says the N-word a lot. That's right, guys. We're talking about Quentin Tarantino! Yeah. Richard Gecko, if you're nasty. So, uh, Quentin Tarantino, it was his character name from, from Dust Till Dawn, a screenplay <laughs> by uh, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, good job. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, Tarantino, uh, as a lot of people know, after he sold the screenplay for True Romance, which was technically the first, you know, big screenplay that he wrote, he then uh, wrote and directed a little movie called Reservoir Dogs. Uh, and the thing is, it got a lot of attention, a lot of press. He shortly followed that with Pulp Fiction. And the thing about these movies that was so striking, aside from the tones and the themes that you get through all the Tarantino movies, they're professional killers at some point involved and whatnot. But the thing is that, like, they are all soundtrack heavy. The music is so specific and, you know, it's different and usually a lot of obscure stuff that he brings to light. And then these songs that he brings to light get imitated and parodied and used in commercials for fucking cricket phones and it's the most annoying fucking thing. I mean, but hey, listen, the five, six, seven, eight's made money, so who's gonna give a shit? Anyhow, the biggest thing is that I like to talk about the soundtracks. Tarantino in interviews has even said that he views the soundtrack as an experience by itself. So with that in mind, can we do it? We're going to find out because in order to make this happen, we had to bring the right people together, our own Fox Force 5, if you will. So that's right, guys. We were talking about people like me, Evan Saudi. You might know me. I'm the interview editor of Pop Matters. I also do stuff for MSN and whatnot. I don't care about that. I care that you care about this podcast because it means a lot to me. It's my favorite podcast in the world, also because I want it. But more importantly, though, if you know anything about this podcast, you know the person sitting next to me, the Uma Thurman to my Tarantino. That's right, guys. The co-creator of the podcast, Taryn O'Reilly. Really? I'm Uma Thurman? Yeah. My name is literally Taryn. It's in his name. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. I was yeah. about to. It's worked in my But place. fine, fine, fine. I'm your Uma Thurman. You're okay. sexier. Are you and when you dance like Uma Thurman, are you going you to force me to drive unseatbelted down a dirt road and get into a car wreck and then we won't speak for decades? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but listen, exactly. <laughs> but listen, uh, the thing is that Taron and I, we have a lot of uh, very strong opinions about Tarantino and his various films. But uh, the thing is that also at the end of the day, we can't do it by ourselves. We really can't. That's why we had to bring in the right people that we have on here, including some amazing previous guests. First off, uh, you have heard him before. He has been the co-host of the Charties for the past two years. He is a dear and sweet and wonderful friend. He is also, because he's been on the number of episodes he has, including our Gorillas episode, he is in the realm of a Chartographer's All-Star! Yeah. You can find him on Instagram at Malort Long and Prosper. That's right, guys. The one and only John Gleason Teskies in studio! Hello, everybody. <laughs> How you doing, John? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful, uh, long-ass ride going oh, yeah. through all the <laughs> Yeah, good thing that this is a podcast is death-proof. Uh, but better than that, oh, though, oh. yeah, that's a reference to a title Don't of the movie. Don't know that. <laughs> that was but, weak. <laughs> but on top of that, the thing is, John Lisa Tusk is a great guy, but honestly, you know the true facts, people. This podcast wouldn't be this podcast if it wasn't for the originator of it all. Back when he ran the film site, the enthusiast for a while, he did the podcast, and the whole ranking as a consensus thing came together because of what we did, including an extremely controversial episode with <laughs> the three of us together, <laughs> John Glee our guest, and me, ranked Tarantino movies, and John Glee was not happy with how it turned out. It was really fun. Uh, and so now it's retribution time. Either way, he's the man, the myth, the legend. Follow him on Instagram at DM Coop and on Twitter at Dave Coop, the one and only Dave Coop! Hey, gentlemen. Ooh. How you doing? Yeah, well, thank you for asking. Good. Now, of course, you, the three of us, have uh, been on that Tarantino podcast where we talked about all the films. <laughs> That's a good one. It was yes. a great, fun, it's scintillating time, I would even say. Yeah. Scintillating. Yeah. Got the blood pumping. Yes, oh, it yeah. did. And the thing is, we now have a new movie on top of it to deal with. We do. Exactly, okay. which I'm excited about. And the thing is, is that initially, uh, Coop did a great job this week kind of prepping me the idea of like, okay, so wait a second, are we ranking the music of the films, or are we ranking the soundtracks? And it was a good clarifier, because when you look at some of the soundtrack albums that were released, some of these ones don't have every single song featured in the movie. Almost half sometimes. Right. Yeah. 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 Due to yeah. whatever licensing or clearing mm -hmm. or things like that. By the way, good luck finding Inglorious Bastard soundtrack on Spotify, because there is check shit on there. I don't know what they were able to approve or not, but it's crazy. But more importantly, though, the thing is, Tarantino has said he views it as experience, which is why, when it comes to ranking uh, the soundtracks, you also have to incorporate the lines of dialogue. He wants to create that experience of like viewing the film or whatnot, because I think that all, for a lot of people, soundtracks are a souvenir from the film. You hear these songs, you think about, oh, I remember that scene or something else. Like, I think Guardians of the Galaxy is a great example of that, where it's yes. just like, it's integrated in the film, but it's not like too explicit. It's just kind of there. It's a little bit of a story element, not the biggest one, but it's yeah. like also baked in from the start. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 In the script. Very yeah. intentional. Instead of just like songs that play over various yeah, scenes. Right. Like, you know, ugh, and I know so many bad soundtracks, as we all know. Uh, but that's the reason why we're kind of diving into it here. And I'm excited about this. It's a different prospect. And the other thing is that, guys, it is an experiment. We are kind of going through this together. It is going to be fun, a wild journey. Because the thing is that as much as we want to talk about this collection of songs by themselves, Guess what? I'm sorry. There are times when you just think about the film. You think about great moments, like when the fucking title card cut to black and suddenly Miserly plays at the start of fucking Pulp Fiction. That's a goddamn experience. That's a journey. And guess what? That's a factor in terms of how much I fucking like that goddamn song and or, how much advertisers liked it. On the flip side, you have the beginning of Hateful Eight, which is just like... Three minutes of snow. Yeah, just kind of keeps happening, and you're yeah. like, hmm, mm, cool. There's more yeah. snow in that than the snowman. 
<laughs> he gave us all the clues. Also, the next ranking. Yeah. <laughs> Just the, uh, the tracks on the snowman soundtrack. I, which is, I definitely remember who composed that. Uh, but more importantly, though, so that means, guys, uh, although he promised he'd be out and done with ten movies, he does count Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 as a single entity, but we still have ten soundtracks to do. No, he doesn't. He, can, he doesn't consider Death Proof a movie. Really? Yeah, really? No, he counts Kill Bill as two movies. He doesn't count it Death Proof. Okay. Really? Whatever, Quinn. That's, that's, that's his. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's great. I, I think Death Proof is a movie. Yeah. I saw it in a movie theater. I mean, <laughs> because it's, I think it's only half of a movie. Yeah, I think it's... Like, I think he considers Grindhouse the film. Fair. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. So wait, are we going to be ranking the five minutes he directed in Sin City? <laughs> 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 the best five minutes. <laughs> I really enjoyed the soundtrack to that episode of CSI. <laughs> Listen, it was the Two best episode of CSI. Yeah. Where did you yeah. spare it on? Yes. Long story short, we got ten soundtracks to rank, and let's go through. Uh, first off, we start off with the gritty 1992 debut, Reservoir Dogs, the much more pop culture-affiliated Pulp Fiction in 1994, the exploitation reboot of the entire genre, which was known as Jackie Brown from 1997, the, uh, I guess we'll call it a martial arts film, but it's so much more than that, Kill Bill Volume 1 in 2003, the sequel to that, Kill Bill Volume 2 in 2004, the movie we were just talking about that is technically a movie, Death Proof from 2007, uh, he is a world review. World War II fan fiction, which is so well done, called Inglorious Bastards in 2009. Uh, he has returned to the great uh, outlaw western in terms of Django Unchained in 2012. His uh, murder box murder mystery of the Hateful Eight in 2015. And of course, his movie about Hollywood, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in 2019. It's this year. Yeah, exactly. The year we're recording this. Yeah. But you Good know what? Job. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Some people might be listening to this soundtrack all the way in 2022. So I'm sure. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah, when the third movie, the tech yeah. movie, the Star Trek movie that he does, yeah, finally releases it. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, we'll just hold it into the vault. So, guys, 10 movies. Star Trek movie? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. going to be his last movie? No. Maybe. Dear God, no. I will fight him. <laughs> no, I want him to be I, will, Star Trek. I will fight him with my feet. I want to I see what that is. I mean, I, we I can see not. what it is, but it can't be his. That that can't count as his. Well, he said he's gonna make. He's gonna write novels and make plays and shit like that, and probably direct miniseries and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, all right, all right. Anyway, anyway. Long story short, ten albums, ten spots, guys. I'm really excited about this because we're talking about the merits of a soundtrack, and it's gonna work in tandem with the film. But long story short. Taryn and I have done a whole bunch of episodes, over 100 episodes of this podcast together, which is an incredible thing. Uh, John Glintonteski, as you know, is the co-host of the Charties and the Chartographer's All-Star. So technically, even though he's been on an episode, that means Dave Coop, you're technically the new guy here. Yeah. And, and although this is your area of expertise, I'm curious. You're in the hot seat for the start of it. Okay. I have to ask the question. Dave Coop, number 10, what would you nominate as the worst... Tarantino mm. soundtrack. It's a really great question. I am so fucking curious to see what you, <laughs> of all people, pick for this motherfucker. There's a couple, I think... I mean, there's a couple that are... And, like, listen, all soundtracks are fucking great. All of his soundtracks are great. And there, I think that I watched a bunch of these and then listened to the soundtracks after. And, boy, I think that probably... Kill Bill Volume 2 might be his weakest soundtrack. And just in terms of like, there's not okay. much it's especially paired against Kill Bill Volume 1, which is absolutely good. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was just listening to Kill Bill Volume 2 and I was like alright, there's some really good Neo Morricone, like, you know, lists. Right. Yeah. But like, and then there's some there's one or two really good songs, but it's not it's not a the dance soundtrack. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, and then there are two other soundtracks that I also think could be in contention for number 10, which is 
Reservoir Dogs and Inglorious Bastards. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> Coop's coming out okay. of the game. I'm making shit. weird body shapes because I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, it's okay. It's okay. Well, this, that was my gut reaction and I'm, I'm okay. as the man on the hot seat. That's yeah, exactly. No, and I appreciate the honesty there. I think let's just take it one piece at a time. Let's talk about Kill Bill Volume 2. Sure, now, you yes. can't talk about Kill Bill Volume 2 without Kill Bill Volume 1. And the thing is yes, that... you can. I mean... They're different soundtracks. They are. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, the worst thing about it. Okay. Um, yes. It's, it's not Kill Bill Volume 1, because I want it to be Kill Bill Volume 1. Yeah. yeah. And the entire time I'm listening to it, Kill Bill Volume 1 is just better at being a Kill Bill soundtrack. Kind of like, and this is separate, this is a separate thing, because we dis- we all discussed this. We are doing the soundtracks and not the movies. <laughs> um, but I think Kill Bill Volume 1 as a movie is better because it's, it's, I mean, we did it first and we did all the good things about it. And Kill Bill Volume 2 is like an, an end. And I feel like very similarly, the, the music of Kill Bill Volume 1 encapsulates everything you want about that genre. Yeah. And Kill Bill Volume 2 is uh, more of that. Yeah. Rewatching it recently, I, I've always seen Kill Bill Volume 2 as the high Higher. watermark. And then Kill Bill Volume 1 is like, ah, oh, that's pretty good. And my rewatch sort of shifted a little bit. <laughs> okay. It's, it's been... A while. It's probably been since theaters. Like, Mm -hmm. it's been a very long time. And I think I've watched maybe them once since then. But watching, I had a fucking blast with Kill Bill Volume 1. I was just like, I was like this. I had a couple beers. I was like, oh, I'm feeling (laughs) it. Loving it. Kill Bill Volume 2, I was like, this is really good. I think there are Mm -hmm. are high moments in that movie. But I I think that my opinion has shifted. Okay. I mean, first of all. I know, this isn't the soundtrack, but Lucy Liu's having the time of her goddamn life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And like the whole crazy eight fight, crazy oh eight, eight fight sequence. Uh-huh. There's yeah. nothing like that in no, volume two. Nothing no. that even comes close. Go, go, Yubari, come on. So yeah. like, and, and I feel similarly about the soundtracks in that like volume one, there's, I mean, you have fucking Battle Without Honor. Oh, yeah. like, like, like that yeah. on its own yeah. puts Kill Bill volume one like halfway up this list. At list yeah. Where, it, you know, and like volume two, Pretty much exactly what you said. I think my favorite tracks and the ones with the, where I hear it and I go, oh, I know exactly yeah. what's happening in the movie are the um, Ennio Morricone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially the, the Buried Alive punching the thing. Like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Also, like, I think, and I, tell me if you disagree, I feel like every movie has the track. You know what I mean? Karen and I were just yes. talking about this the yes, other day. Yeah. And that one is, you know, it's it's a little bit... And certain ones are like, I don't know what the track is quite yet for Once yeah. Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. But, like, I think the track is the Neo Morricone track from, you know... I think it's Lorena. Yeah. Yes, that's absolutely. absolutely. That's, that's, the the, track. that's where she's punching through yeah, the yeah, coffin. It's so yeah. great. But, yeah. like, I just think... And, like, and the ending song, too, is, like, the of all song. the... When she's driving and on the highway. Yeah. yeah. It's also like the least memorable. But it's just, I was a little bummed. Yeah. There are moments that still like it. Weirdly enough, that one song that plays when she has her daughter spending time with her, the About Her with Malcolm McLaurin, it's kind of a weird song, but it's definitely one of the stronger musical moments that I associate with the movie. Just because, like, Kill Bill Volume 1, when I hear that soundtrack, I see every scene so crystal clear in my mind. And with Kill Bill Volume 2, there are a couple of ones like, yeah, I guess that shows up. The Charlie Feathers song and you know like there's a couple other times where I'm just kind of like I remember it but not the same vein and and also like culturally I felt like Kill Bill Volume 1 like yeah the, the woohoo was in what, eight nine commercials that yeah, like yeah. played all the time yeah. and like yeah. uh, and, the, and the, the battle and the yeah. everything like the, yeah. how often is that sort of thing referenced in movies and TV still today where like somebody yeah. is about to get in a battle 
and then yeah. they like just go into it. Yeah, and then yeah. trailers. It's, right. It, yeah. Just, every yeah. time you hear it, I'm just like yeah. they're fucking ripping off Tarantino. And like, right. like there's like Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. Right. Like, like, he's an Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, I'll just put it this way. I was a little bit surprised to see volume volume two. I don't necessarily disagree. I do think it's definitely one of the lower ones. Your other picks. Uh, one of them I have an issue with, but we'll talk about that. I'm just curious, Teskey, what would you nominate at the spot? Um, I was thinking about uh, a Kill Bill Volume 2. I think that's because my other one that I... The one that I found to be the most off-putting, the one that I enjoyed listening to the least mm-hmm. as an album, as a sound, as a piece of music, uh-huh. um, a set of a collection of music pieces. <laughs> You're describing um, a soundtrack, yes. <laughs> not necessarily how it plays into the movie, or or how I think about any of these individually. Uh, it's Django Unchained. I, oh, I was, I was. Oh, I did not. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> And that's my that's my controversial bay uh, on this list. Mm. Uh, oh, we're gonna have a podcast. Yeah. 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 podcast. We're gonna talk about like five movies before we even. Right. Read. Yeah. Which is, you know what? I guess what? Oh, five, well, that's what we're here for. But I, I, I firmly, I will say that I have a whole lot of feelings about Django and Chain soundtrack, and I have almost no feelings about Kill Bill Volume Two. Mm. So like that, that would be my other option, okay. or or possibly the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I would say that that stems from me not. Being as familiar with this is gonna be a great podcast. Right, guys, and we all have our favorites. We all have our feelings. It's not a matter of me being right. It's a matter of let's just consensually get there. We got that thing on there. But that being said, uh, fascinating choices. I will say. I would say that Django Unchained. Django Unchained, especially with the rewatch that we did this week together, I always had like I liked it enough, kind of opinion of it. But really, the soundtrack this week really dug its hooks into me. Really? Oh yeah. There were, it's one of the things where it is not flawless, but there are so many great moments. And the thing is, this whole journey, uh, if it, listen, if there's anything you need to know about Quentin Tarantino, he has a massive fetish for Ennio Morricone. And feet. Oh, and, sorry. And also feet. That. Exactly. Uh, uh, but, uh, Ennio feet. Specifically. Thank you. Virgin Blonde had Hollywood. some pretty clean ones. <laughs> I think they've gotten dirtier as his clearest <laughs> Yeah. Because his like, mind's gotten the dirtier. First movies, yeah. the the feet were very clean. And yeah. then, like, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they were Disgusting. covered in dirt. Yeah. Yeah. Covered in dirt. <laughs> anyway. Which we don't need to. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a different like, podcast. We're not ranking the feet. Yeah, yeah. that's a different the, podcast. The feet of Quentin Tarantino. Jesus. Uh, but the thing is, really, in the soundtrack thing this week is that he's always professed a great love of the composer Ennio Morricone. And, of course, you know, when you think of Morricone, you usually think of Good Band of the West theme, you know, or Good Band of the Ugly. That's usually the first thing that comes to also mind. Also the thing... Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is that this, the, I guess he tried to contact him to get his track for Pulp Fiction, and I guess it didn't work out, and he kept trying and trying, and then mm-hmm. once Kill Bill Volume 2 hits, and that's probably really one of the more redeeming aspects of Volume 2, is that's when you start seeing him borrowing liberally from multiple Ennio Morricone scores, the degree to depth, the different tones of it, Morricone is not a one-note guy, there are so many different levels and experiments yeah, and absolutely. like other things that he I does mean, in there. I mean, he's written over 500 soundtracks, yeah. so yeah, like, really? you can't Holy do shit. that. Yeah. And like do the same thing every time, right? And definitely looking into that guy. I was like, oh, that, that was him too. Yeah, <laughs> well, that was him completely, too. Completely, yeah. completely. And it's honestly for that reason. Just as a side note, we won't go into it right now. But part of the reason why I'm going to fight for Inglorious a little bit, just because there's so many excellent selections that he calls out of there for that one there. But that being said, well, that's, I mean, that's how I feel about 
Django Unchained too. Yeah, I love yeah. the more. Also, I love that Django Unchained has original songs written for the movie. That's, yeah. yeah, that blew. And also, he doesn't. Le- for a western, he doesn't lean on a Neo Morricone. Well, oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I would say that he uses uh, Morricone a lot, and he uses it in the exact same way that Morricone does yeah. in Django, as opposed to yeah. some of the other things where he borrows from like a, a finds a new western. context for it. Right. He loves the thick bass line, a thick seventies bass line. Right. And and so like it felt and and Morricone after. Being at seeing or uh, I'm not uh, interacting with this movie it was like oh well I'm never working with this yeah. Tarantino guy no, ever again. Hateful Eight, right? No, 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 no. no. It was Before after Hateful Eight. It was after Django. Yeah. It was after Django, and I in part I I understood this, and as a, he hated it because he was so liberally using this guy's music in the exact same way for the exact like very but similar. If purposes. we're talking about soundtracks, there are only three tracks by Ennio Morricone on the soundtrack for Django Unchained. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but like, for example, wow. Brain Mule. Right. Uh, yeah. Which oh was, my god. Which is maybe yeah. like my favorite song on this soundtrack. Yeah. Um this but growing building it tension. Was, uh. It's it was used to like as he's entering town. And I think yeah. that's the same way that it was used in the film that it originally gotcha. appeared yeah. in. Yes. That's why Morricone was upset because he's like, "Oh, you're just probably you're literally just copying." Yeah, gotcha. yeah. Instead of like using it in a new inventive. But way. I'll do one more movie for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and the, the yeah. Shit out. Yeah. Some somehow that conversation happened, and I, and we'll talk about that later because I I'm glad okay. it did. But but uh, but I do feel like a lot of this Django music that is. <laughs> It sounds like a derogatory. No, that Django. <laughs> no. Django. Well, first of all, the Django Unchained music, a lot of it, and including things that are not on the soundtrack, are from the movie Django, which yeah. is Django. also heavily borrowed from. Yeah. Like yeah. It, in ways that uh, feel different. If you're if you're listening to an Inglorious Bastards uh, Morricone thing, it feels like a Western set, like in a completely different. You know, it right. feels like a Western vibe in a completely different mm-hmm. context. I agree. Right. But if you're feeling this, it's like it's directly lifted, and I I got bored. Yeah. It's also the most like weirdly contemporary. You know, it's got like John Legend and Rick Ross and stuff yeah. like that. You're like, whoa, okay, it was not Gophers. Yeah. For some reason, every time I listen to that song, it just sounds like he's saying Black Gophers. And I can't, <laughs> well, I can't uh, unhear it. Anyway, uh, also Rick, Tupac. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but. Oh, wait, but I love that. That's a great Dude, song. Yeah, that's a great song. With, I like the way you die, boy. Like, in the oh, rhythm. So it's good. so good. I, but it feels very weird in this. It is actually, the usage in the film, I like it less than just the track itself. Well, but it feels very, and, and partially, and I think because of that, and, I'm, and I had this idea of listening to the soundtrack straight through, it feels weird in the soundtrack. It feels like I would. I, 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 it's like a Will own. Smith Men in Black. Like, <laughs> well, no, but like, Nadia had black suits coming. Listen, from Men in Black too. Yes, and, and then there was Pitbull. Um, but um, so bored, he couldn't do his own theme song. Fuck you, Will Smith. But, uh, I'm but, a Gemini man. But but there was definitely a point on the like, especially the latter half of the soundtrack of Django, that I was like, well, I would like to watch that movie, this the, movie. the John Legend movie. Yeah. Um, as opposed to the Morricone movie, too. Like, I feel like they're two separate. The movie where, like, Tupac would fit into this, movie, like, this, this soundtrack. Okay. Tupac felt very out of place in the soundtrack. I don't know that I agree. I don't agree. I feel like, oh. I feel like yes, it was set it just pre-Civil War, but, like, 
there's something about that film that just feels so incredibly modern from the outset. 100%. Like to me, it felt like it almost feels like well, because it's it's a little black exploitation y too. Mm-hmm. So it's it's it it is set in that time period, but there's absolutely anachronisms happening all over. Mm-hmm. The, like for example, the the sleeve pistol. Yeah. Like, did that exist? Maybe. 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 Yeah. I think but it was like, a lot less. But like, yeah. <laughs> that historically accurate That's movie. Ca- yeah. Like, yeah. Mechanical spider. Yeah. Punk spider. Um, but like, th- the moment that appears, you're like, oh, this isn't a Western, this is a Tarantino movie. It's also and that's, like, that's why I like, when Tupac yeah. shows up, I'm like, yeah, he's a... It also has a great arc. Like, it actually, the music follows the arc of Django, which I think is one of the cooler hero arcs of any Tarantino movie where it's, you know, him at the beginning, him at the end, you're like, holy shit, what a journey. Yeah. And the soundtrack has kind of that same journey. Right. Now, I personally, it's one of the things, I feel like what we're doing is that we're all kind of getting our stuff out right now, including uh, Kill the Volume 2. We have all pulled our readers out. Exactly. So, you know what, listen, listen, we're talking about it, and we'll get to the ranking, guys. I'm pretty sure Kill the Volume 2 just might consensusly be at the bottom, and we'll Mm -hmm. outvote each other. It's a thing that happens, we know. But Mm -hmm. I'm just going to throw out my other two picks that I'm going to have on here (laughs) real quick just to make it more complicated. My other two very clearly and very obviously have to be Death Proof and Hateful Eight. And part of the reason for that is because Hateful Eight uh, is one of the things, like, I that score, that fucking theme that he came across, that's like a John Williams Harry Potter level thing of just this do-do-do-do-do-do. No, no, no. No, no. Is it Harry Potter level? Because... The Harry Potter theme, do, do, do. I don't get sick of. <laughs> the rest of the podcast. Like, yeah. I, but like, literally, that yeah. theme appears on this soundtrack. There's 28 tracks on this soundtrack. First of all, it appears in approximately a third of them, I feel like. That mm-hmm. might be, like... Generous? Uh, yeah. that might no, be it still a feels like a lot. Because then there's a like, the slower version, then there's But then it comes back in, in like a minute form later, and right. then but it's also in the overture, right. and it's just like, as... as it might, it's, it's good for the film, right. but like, as a listening experience <laughs> yeah. to the soundtrack, it is very repetitive. But then there's also the White Stripes song. Yeah. But, yeah. Apple Blossom. The, but I, I will say that, like, Hateful Eight is standing out in a big way from a lot of these because it feels like a score. Yeah. yeah. Score. And yeah. initially, I think when we were initially talking about it with Dave, I had the idea of, like, we'll, we'll talk about it before we start the podcast, but, like, maybe we don't count Hateful Eight because it almost feels unfair for every other soundtrack, which is a concise collection of songs. And I was like, <laughs> to be go up against... A pop song. A pop, yeah, pop songs to go up against the score. And technically, in Glorious Bastards, because it borrows from so many different scores, it might fall in the same thing, but it still feels like he's doing the same thing. He's compiling a soundtrack versus working with an original composition that's made for this film, yeah. and it's a score that is repeat, repeats and has this theme that's used a bunch of different times. So it's just a different listening experience. Now, I know Dave is a very big, uh, strong advocate for Tarantino's Western specific period. But at the same time, like, this is one of the things, as a soundtrack, that is the one where I had the hardest time just engaging with it at a constant Well, I could burn that one easy, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I, I'm, I, oh, yeah I'm, not, I'm not being precious with it. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm not, I, it, it is not the hill that I'm going to die on, but yeah. I... But Terry made the best points for it, where it's, it's pretty repetitive, mm-hmm. and, and, well, it is, yeah, you're right, it's a score. It, it's, yeah, I'm not going to put and, it in a fight. And that, that being said, I listen to it in a very, very different way, but I, it does feel... How did you listen to it? 
I mean, in terms of like, I'm not ranking oh, the yeah. songs in my head, right, 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 right because right. the third of them are the same. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, but, like, as an album listening experience, it does. It, I think it captures um, a better than some of these. Uh, it captures the sort of like uh, a, a singular mood, singular feeling. It feels uh, like it's a Western movie made in the 2000 teens more than some of these, you know, because it has that sort of, like, synthy, but thrillery, but, like, westerny, but, like, but consistent. It felt... I, I enjoyed the listening experience, and I thought the dialogue introduced the characters, and I... I, I what, what I'm saying in Mr. Morricone uh, is I appreciated... Because he will be um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, is I appreciated The Hateful Eight uh, at, for what it was. It's not, like I say, not the hill I'm going to die on, but, like, I, I, I think it's... You have to... It, once you listen to it in a different way, it... Beats everything else for a score, and like the closest other one that comes to it is *Inglorious Bastards* in terms of a score. Yeah, um, and it, I think it beats that. I think the whole reason that he has dialogue on the soundtrack is so we can just enjoy hearing them say "Domergu" a lot because that's just a <laughs> last name. It's that's not even a real yeah. last name. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Domergu. I watched it. Yeah, my Blu-ray broke halfway through, so I didn't actually go over to Netflix and finish it. And then it was like, "Oh, do I watch the extended cut?" But I was like, "No, I gotta." Finish yeah. the cut you're watching. Exactly. But yeah. I'm excited to go watch the extended cut in a year because yeah. I need a minute. <laughs> right. Well, then that's the thing. Before yeah. we get into the hardcore, hardcore ranking, I'm just curious, Taryn, do you have another nominee for Below? I, besides the six we've nominated already? <laughs> I'm just curious. I want to know what your personal six I, are. Uh, well, my personal six are. No, I mean, like, if, if, if you want me to just give my, like, low three. Uh, we're all doing it, apparently. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's definitely. it's. It's hatefully Inglorious Bastards and Kind of a Blind too. Cool. Okay. Well, I think at the very least, before anything else, we can probably agree that it looks like Hateful Eight and Kill Bill Volume 2 are on the lower end of the chopping block there. Totes. Uh, so, that being said, do we put uh, Hateful Eight at 10? Do we put uh, Kill Bill Volume 10? Does anyone care either way? I think because we have general consensus, let's put Volume 2 down there. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. I agree. All right. I cool. agree. In that case, guys, officially at number 10, Kill Bill Volume 2. Which is hilarious because when you said it, we were all like, oh. I know. And then we and talked then we about talked it, about and it's like, like, nope, yeah. no, that's about right. Yeah. And go. then Hateful Eight at nine. Yeah, Hateful Eight at nine. Right. And from the sounds of it, that means maybe Inglorious Bastards is next, judging from the rest of the room. Yeah, also, isn't it like, it's the shortest soundtrack, too. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. it doesn't have any dialogue in it, so that kind of cuts true. down that's the uh, track count a yeah, lot. Yeah, it actually has more songs than a couple of the For example, I just counted Reservoir Dogs, 16 tracks, 8 songs. Yeah, that I have no problem with that being next, either. Well... Well, but let, well, we can talk about... Let's no, talk about Inglourious Bastards first. I actually really like some of the, oh, no, the dialogue. But anyway, yeah. Let's, let's talk about Inglourious Bastards, because I got things. Okay. Got things. Um, so tell me some things. Well, yeah. uh, uh, no, about, about Reservoir Dogs. So oh. I want to like get this out of the way. Ah, sure. Because um, I, I do... Um, uh, uh, He's so dismissive of it. Uh, uh, Inglourious Bastards, I, I, I also ranked very low um, in my personal estimation, um, because it feels very lifted. It feels very, like... Tarantino saw a cool scene in a movie and went, hey, I want to do that scene and then, like, took the score of a scene in a movie and, like, that's just copied it. I mean, that's kind of like his whole... I know, yeah. but, 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 I mean, it's... But, but, uh, but like, 
uh, uh, Reservoir Dogs doesn't do that. Pulp Fiction doesn't do that. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood doesn't do that, except for fucking Mrs. Robinson, which the balls on that. That's, I literally anyway. said brass balls. Hateful Eight doesn't do that. No. Um, also, he uses in Glorious Bastards, he lifts a music track from his other movie. Yeah. yeah. Really? Like, yeah. Whoa, what? When oh, he uses yeah. fucking white lightning again. Yeah, that yeah. was weird. Yeah. yeah. That, Which, I didn't like that. And, and this is also one of those where there's a bunch of other music used. It's yeah. one of those, like, the soundtrack and yeah. then other music used as a whole. It's, it's, like, just as long. Yeah. Yeah. So so this this feels like... It, it, it feels a little bit like... Uh, there's there's one war movie song um, to me that, like, the, the Tiger Tank felt like a war movie song. Yeah, sure. Um, but the rest of it is westerns. Um, for a good chunk of it, and, and then it's just lighting. German and, classical singing and yeah. cat people, and, and, and then fucking cat, cat people, cat, 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 which is awesome. Cat rules, which is an awesome. Oh my god, so many. There are the thing is that like I still very much <laughs> almost like awesome with, is a strong with <laughs> Kill Bill Volume One though. <laughs> I had the same feeling of listening to this, where like I heard so many, so many of the scenes just came through just so blindingly powerfully. Yeah, this yes. time listening to it, That's like true. Green Leaves of Summer, just this do 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 do, like this kind of like tension. Building as you know, the Nazi cars are drawing up, and then of course the other one was uh, Un Amico by uh, Ennio Morricone. At the very end, yeah. it's the scene when uh, she's in the, the projection booth. Oh, and that's great! And that yeah. that, just great. this lovely—it's just this—it's such a beautifully composed, simple piece of music that he uses in that scene. It feels optimistic, even yeah. though two characters are dying right in front when of it you. Picks up, you're like, yeah. it's, it's a kind of magical. Yeah. yeah. And so it's one of the things where, like, even though he's borrowing from all these different places, like, I just uh, had, still had such a thrill. Listen, and again, also uh, bringing in that fucking that uh, bass, that one. Was it the White Lightning one? No, the other one was just the. Doom, doom, doom. And then that bass line just kind of coming in. It's a thick '70s bass that he does so well. Yeah. I also, just, the the uh, introduction song for uh, Barrier Juice. Except here's the thing. Except in the movie, I feel like the slaughter by Billy Preston. He just have that hard like. And then in the soundtrack, you actually hear the rest of the song, which is right. a little bit more boogie woogie, which is yeah. actually kind of fun, and I'm yeah. digging it. But like in the movie, it just kind of cuts it off. There's a lot of yeah. there's a couple songs where you listen to them and you go, "Oh, there's more." Yeah, that's <laughs> actually a really fun. That was such a fun thrill. I listen yeah. to the soundtrack, where I'm just like, "Oh yeah, hell yeah." Uh, so it's one of the I still have a great uh, deal of love for Glorious Bastards. You think it's voted down? Oh, I'm not gonna like yeah, defend. Great. Right. I mean, well, we're not we're not judging the movie. No, no, no. Exactly. But even the soundtrack, I still like. He's borrowing like he instead of doing pop songs, he's borrowing from other soundtracks to kind of do the same effect and I kind of respected him a lot for that if it goes down here I'm not going to put up a big fight for it but it's just like I still advocate for it it's such a good one yeah the little uh, rinky dinky tin pan alley you know German songs I think I think I think you know yeah. like that kind of thing like okay that's you know for the context of the movie sure great but uh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah this was definitely one that like some songs were super helped by the context of the yes. movie I, that's true that's true that's true and some songs there's were no way like, I would have bought the sound bought these songs individually had it not been for the application it's also like right. just kind of all over the place musically right thing. like it's kind of yes. like whoa oh okay we're doing that now oh wow we're doing this right like to me even more than the western to hip-hop jump in yeah. Django Unchained like the western to Bowie? war movie to Bowie yeah. to like classical German singing is like as yeah. a listening experience yeah. you're like whoa 
I wouldn't put this mixtape back on again. No, you know yeah. what I mean? Whereas yeah. Django, I felt like those shifts delighted me. This, I was just like, oh, oh, okay, cool. We're changing it up here. Yeah, okay, ah, gotcha. look, we, we have opposite feelings. That's okay. Um, the, I still love you. The, the French singing about <laughs> Mexican, like, with the Mexican Mexican Sombrero. Sombrero, yeah. yeah, I love that. I thought that was great. Like, yeah. that that encapsulated the what I loved about this movie in ways that I, I felt like Django was a little, little forced. Okay. Uh, sometimes it switches. Well, that being said, are we of consensus then that Inglorious Bastards would be our number eight slot? I'm cool with that or Reservoir Dogs for me, yeah. Okay, well, let's just for the sake of argument, let's say let's go ahead and put Inglorious Bastards in at number eight. That's um, this... bad. No, I, I support that. I, oh, I, you su- do? I support what he just said. I would not. Put, I would not. Uh, Reservoir Dogs oh, next. Yeah. Okay, Reservoir so dogs listen, we have win. our 1098. Let's just talk about Reservoir Dogs for a bit because yes, please. here's the thing about Reservoir Dogs. Uh, Reservoir Dogs, the soundtrack is a different experience than a lot of other Tarantino soundtracks in the sense that it is very much an album experience. He very much wanted to recreate what it was like for when those oldies radio stations would do, like, we're doing a disco week, or we're doing yeah. a 70s week, or whatever. He wanted to have that experience, and so to have dry, deadpan comedian Stephen Wright come in <sighs> and do these incredible literal interludes about, like, you can win tickets to see the behemoth. Uh, like, just incredible, yeah. like, little add-on. It just adds to the experience of, like, you're not necessarily as much listening to a soundtrack as, like, a bootleg or, like, a radio broadcast or whatnot. And it's great, and this is a movie where there are some fucking songs that fucking scream at you, and of course, Little Green Bag, and then walking down the yeah. fucking street, and the so fucking iconic good. moment of Steeler's Wheel stuck in the middle with you, yeah. given the most depressing that- and incredible context yeah. within mm-hmm. the scene that it's used in. And Coconut, to be honest, too. Like, that as an yeah. end credit song, you're like, oh, yeah. this is which fucking is, cool. Which is, yeah, right. a, weird, yeah. a weird touch, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. The only thing I'll say, and we'll, of course, Teske will have his defense of it in a moment there, Deserves is it. that after all of this, what's the rest? Because we have yeah. I Gotcha by Joe Tex. Uh-huh. Huh? You know I'm gonna give it to you. It's just like, mm-hmm. okay. I just watched well, the movie and I couldn't tell you what scene that was from. Yeah. yeah. Well, or sign. the Fool for Love by Sandy Rogers. Jesus Christ. I, that's the kind of country that just like scrapes my ears well it's fine it's fine and it's bad well when you know it's a song about a brother and sister fucking um because it is because it's about to play um oh oh you didn't y'all didn't know that Ooh, ah. uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's the same shepherd play about a brother and sister fucking called fool for love and this was made for the movie of the sam shepherd play and then it was like copped into okay but 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 really the thing that we need to talk about is that the entirety of the music budget was blown on steeler's wheel in 100% of the initial music budget. Yeah, it looked on a well, well, well spent. No, uh, it, oh, initially. Are you, are you giving like an actual factoid right yes, now? Yes, yes. Oh. No, no, no. Yeah, this is the actual fact of like, they. It, he was like, I don't care what the rest of the music is. We got to do the Steelers Wheel. And they spent like 150, you know, it's it's a relatively low budget movie. Yeah. Because uh, they spent $150,000 or whatever. Did they really? Uh, on getting, on securing uh, uh, the Steelers Wheel uh, stuck in the middle with you, which like I think is money well fucking spent. Oh, right. But that explains um, why when it comes to like Magic Carpet Ride, they had but, the band Bedlam do a cover yeah. on it. Oof. <laughs> Getting uh, the actual right. original recording, um, yeah. Which is, which is, I, I always, I heard that one first because I realized that like a girl burned that, a Tarantino fan girl burned that CD for me, and I was like, oh, this is why. Oh, and then I heard the Steppenwolf. I'm like, oh, this is better. Um, but, uh, but, but so, so the, in order to get the rest of the music, is, this is the story that I've, I've heard, I've read on the interweb, is that in order to get the rest of the music, um, they had to pitch it as a soundtrack. 
And initially it was like, oh, cool, okay, we'll sell it as a soundtrack. But it wasn't, it was just supposed to be the music from the movie, and they spent all of the budget on the Steelers' wheel. So that's why, to me, a lot of this feels a little uh, eclectically 70s and just kind of like random 70s songs that you know and you feel and that are uh, after that are very well integrated I think into the Hooked on a Feeling especially of like that kind of they're, they're killers they're trained to do things and then ooga chaka ooga chaka yeah. it's just so fun on top of that um, and a lot of these are incorporated touches after the fact as opposed to uh, uh, that are assembled then into this beautiful soundtrack that ended up being, you know, his fucking calling card. I mean, right, true, but also a lot of films just pick the music after the movie's completely shot already. Yeah. So, like, right, exactly. The fact yeah. that, he, you know, he picked the rest of the songs, but he still, like, edited all to the music and knew the song he was going to use while he was shooting it already. Like, Sure, yeah. I'm just, what I'm saying is this is the least care he put into <laughs> that yeah. soundtrack. Right. Well, I think he got one of the biggest moments out of it, which was, of course, the Steelers' real moment. And that's the song. Which is the song. Right, right, right. Yeah. 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 Money well you, spent. When you take the, the fucking, what's the comedian's name? Uh, Stephen Wright. When you take the Stephen Wright and then you combine it with the dialogue, Ugh. I, I think that Reservoir Dogs... What the soundtrack for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is trying to do the same thing. I would yes, be, yes, yes. It's trying to we be the gesticulating like, greatly. Seventies greatest hits <laughs> with like all of these transitions, like the radio show with the KGH and all the commercials. The bands, steel, yeah. that I don't want to fucking listen to commercials. <laughs> like yeah. I like this. I like the soundtrack. I liked yeah. the movie, but like I, I don't want to listen to what it, what it, what are Tanya we? Tanya Tanning Butter. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. This is actual real things. Well, I don't care. I, don't, <laughs> I can't buy it now. I, I don't care they, about movies. I movie. actually, I, but and I, I would much rather listen to the Madonna speech than like listen to some fucking random ad that wasn't even featured in the movie. The real Don Steele. Agree, yeah, but there's you so many like. Really fucking great tracks on Once Upon a Time. So once, let's well, let's pivot to this because I feel like this is a good pivot to do. Great. Uh, because I do feel like I got that sense when I listened to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Well, more than just about any of the other albums, Reservoir Dogs and Once Upon a Time are very much that experience, that radio listening experience. Yeah. Of just you're driving down the highway, putting something on, and he's going for do different vibes here. If for you know, Reservoir Dogs, it was the '90s with the '70s throwback weekend, and here he got to do the real fucking thing. And I feel like there's something magical about that soundtrack experience of those. Ads that were real ads back in the day, and the real don't steal. Tell me what the weather is, and hey, there's a high school reunion going on. Like it's one of the things where it's kind of like drab. It's kind of minutia, but at the same time, I feel like that's very much what he's trying to evoke with this movie because it's a movie where Coop uh, and I had a long talk about this movie. I didn't like it in the same way that he did. He liked it because aside from being a love note to Hollywood, of also as he described it, and I think very interestingly as a way, and I think you're borrowing Tarantino's words a little bit of how he wanted to reclaim, especially like Sharon Tate's story, how when you mention Sharon Tate, you think about, oh, the woman who was murdered by the Manson cult. That's the first thing that you say. Yeah. And in this movie, he very much wanted to try and rip that narrative away, to be like she was a real person, yeah. and she had real interest in things, too, which I think is... She's not just a tragedy. She's more than that. Yeah, And that 100% am. Right, exactly, which is phenomenal. And so, therefore, like, there's a part of me that, like, I like the soundtrack to this because it does evoke that feeling where you think about those stupid ads and those terrible DJs and things like, and there was some, something nostalgic, you know, element to it, and it really does a good job in transporting you there. Do I think it's the best soundtrack in here? Fuck no. Absolutely not. I think it's like, it's a good collection of songs. Some of them I like more than others. I think it's a very bold to put Mrs. Robinson in there, but I still think the highlight... 
Balls. Yes. Yeah. But, I, yeah. but I still think that uh, the biggest one, the Jose Feliciano cover of California Dreamin', that yeah. is probably still the highlight for me out Except of that one. Except for the part at, at the, the end, end where he's, he has his I love guitar California. solo, yeah. and then he's like going, <laughs> along to his guitar solo, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? So, like, I, I feel like they have different aims and different goals, but they're still kind of coming I, for that same place. Yeah. My favorite, because there are quite a few covers on here. For example, Circle Game is not the original, and I really don't like this version but on the flip side the cover of you keep me hanging on yeah. by fucking vanilla fudge oh, oh my god yeah Ooh. and the thing is that like I, there were some music twitter uh, music uh journalist friends i know on twitter who are just like i never knew this fucking version existed yeah. like that was a yeah. deep cut and it was so well done and, and then, then neil diamond song so yeah <laughs> neil diamond has some weird fucking shit oh well listen i mean he also uh you know uh girl you'll be a woman soon too yeah. there's a neil diamond pen original mm-hmm. uh it, it helped launch the career of urge overkill which uh great for them they're still i'm sure a band but uh <laughs> yeah yeah you're sure yeah i don't know well, next right. next no week on yeah. Urge overkill <laughs> That band I forgot. Yeah. Fifty the name of years life. later, you're sure they're still a band? Okay. Yeah. But uh the thing is so that's what things are like. I agree that like the vibe of both these soundtracks is very good. I do think that in terms of its aims, I feel like Reservoir Dogs does it a little bit better because you have that Stephen Wright stuff, that originality, even though some of the song selections fall a little bit just because of the constrictions that they have. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has a great vibe. It's a little bit, honestly, if I'm being honest, a little bit monochromatic because it's just this bright, sunshiny, garage rock mm-hmm. pop vibe that kind of can carry it through. It's, it's, also, a good, it's a good fucking time. Very yes. sprawling. Yeah. And like, advertisements aside, it's it's really long. Yeah. The first, like, three, four, you know, you can, you, you can pick up. The, the first three songs especially are like, Oh, I've seen that in the trailer for lots of movies. <laughs> yeah, right. And like, and the and the, which again, the balls of this man using three different trailer movies yeah. and trailer sounds, uh, songs on the first fucking three <laughs> on the soundtrack. It's like, like, come on, like, just like you could have left, you could have been fine without Hush. Um, oh, but, but it's one of the best songs on. But it's so good. It's so Hush. good. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it it does feel it does it, this does feel like uh, I agree the Reservoir Dogs uh, at somebody at the the end of his career or I I don't know well I only say that because of the tenth movie or whatever it, yeah. it's looming Star Trek but like not dear God if it's Star Trek I'm gonna vomit. Bare feet um, in space who knew? Enterprise proof. But yeah, no. Well, I, I think that kind of brings us to the idea of like, I think we're kind of splitting hairs at this point, and I think it's just going to come down to outvoting a little bit here. Cool. I didn't think it would I, come to this. I'm sorry. Go I'm ahead. Sorry. I don't understand. Like, quick side note. I don't know why we're talking about anything besides Death Proof right now. Ooh, good point. Okay. Like, like before, we, before we rank another thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and here's like, the thing. What, let's think about, we always talk about, and you brought up the point of what is the iconic song from each of these movies. Now, what is the iconic song? Because I can tell you what he thought the iconic song was going to Hold be. Hold tight. Uh, well, that is a lovely scene where they're all driving together and it's yeah, kind of the girls' road trip of revenge. But personally, I think he was really aiming for Down in Mexico by the Coasters right. for the fucking stripping in front of uh, the, you know, Kurt Russell scene. And is that the scene you sent me that you told me you are going to be doing for yes, us today? Yes, and I'm going to put no. it on shortly. Excellent. We'll be doing the stripping for you. But, uh, like, the thing is that... I is that like... the mini-sode? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. But uh, the thing is, I feel like that's what he was trying to go yeah, for. But it just—it exactly. wasn't the, the same. There is some oh. nice 
songs on here. It's enjoyable. Yeah, exactly. It's an enjoyable thing, but like, it just feels like if he doesn't view it as a movie, I feel like he may not view this as a soundtrack in that same way because it feels like point. Mm -hmm. it feels like kind of like almost like Tarantino leftovers, and I mean that in the kindest way. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. zero issue with (laughs) that right now. I have no idea. Thank God. It, like, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely the. the it, it feels like there's a lot of the same intention that he had with every other movie and soundtrack, uh, except he spent like a good 15 minutes on it instead yeah. of like 10 years or whatever. It definitely, um, it feels like he. We watched him talking about how whenever he's watching a movie or he's listening mm-hmm. to the radio, he'll hear a song and be like, oh, that would be a good driving song. Or, right. oh, this would be a good opening title. And he'll just keep that in the back of his mind. Yep. And then once he has a script written, he's going through the scenes and he's like, now I, I have an opportunity to use that song. Right. I definitely feel like Death Proof was like a, I don't need to save these songs for anything better gotcha. kind of situation. Right. Yeah. I'm going to blow all my driving songs. I will say, <laughs> I think, Jeepster. I thought... Riot in Thunder Alley was a, a good find. I like that song. Oh, yeah. They're but all he, really good. Also, no, but why did he pick the worst fucking Ennio Marconi song of all with that Paranoia yeah. Prima thing? It's yeah. It's like this sound, like this weird drab, like cheap was, sounding piece of shit. It's that like, odd. the fuck is this? I, yeah. I, I skipped over that. I, in I would understand if yeah. that's, the, I, that's the movie that Marconi saw and was just like, I don't want to work with that motherfucker. I would believe that. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. picked my worst yeah. song. He's a planet terror fan. He picked that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember how his dick falls off in Planet Terror. Um, been a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just remember Machine Gun Leg. That's really all I remember. Oh, yeah. That's all you need to remember, if we're yes. being honest. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, well, but in that also, case... how can Death Proof com- compare when to Machine Gun Leg? I mean, come on. I, yeah. I thought Death Proof was a better movie than Planet Terror at being, like, it... it well, be, it was a, it was a bad Tarantino movie instead of a good camp. Well, the worst part about it though is that because Tarantino is lionized more than Rodriguez, he eventually put out Death Proof as an extended version, which ended on twenty minutes, which was unnecessary. It was not a good movie to begin with, but in the 70, yeah. 70 short minutes, it's like okay, cool, great, we're in it. And then outside of that, it turned into his own fucking thing, which is like this is no. Uh, well, in that case, I'm personally oh, fine putting it. the Death yeah. Proof yeah. soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was okay. Just to recap, Thank guys, you. number ten, uh, Kill Bill Volume Two, number. <laughs> Number nine, number eight, number seven, and Glorious Bastards. Uh, no, number eight, and Glorious Bastards. Number seven, Death Proof. Uh, so that leaves. Are we wait? Are we just? Are we really saying that Inglorious Bastards is worse than Death Proof? No. No, that doesn't feel right at all. Yeah, can we switch that? Because I, I think the the most damning thing is we I did forget about Death Proof. No, until like you literally, literally, okay. we had we were talking about <laughs> things that we had feelings about, right? And we had forgotten about Death. Proof. We can move Death Proof to ten. I don't even know. Listen, no, listen, we already did one change. Kill Bill Volume 2, number 10, Hateful Eight, number 9, and Death Proof, number 8, and Glorious Bastards, number 7. That feels, that feels right. That, yeah, feels, that, feels, good. that feels good. Which I mean, will qualify that by saying that Hateful Eight is a different kind of soundtrack than everything else. I think it was a great movie score. I think it was a great movie score. Mr. Morricone, please do my movie. Uh, but <laughs> he's working on it. So, I mean, I feel like at that point, though, what's next? Ooh. Number 6. Cool. Bear in mind, we've also been talking. We've been talking for fifty minutes, so oh, really? yes, okay. we have. Well, I mean, hey, yeah. it'll be like it's an fun, hour this twenty. Is a, years yeah. This is a flying fifty. We've though. also yeah. we've also talked about a lot more movies than we've ranked. Yes. So, yes. Like I I feel like next for me personally Uh-oh. is Uh-oh. probably either Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or 
like Jackie Brown. <gasps> Whoa, easy there, Slugger. Oh, easy there, Slugger. Oh. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, Coop, I feel like you are probably the biggest defender of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood right now, so I kind of want to hear your thoughts about that soundtrack. Um, I mean, it's the most recent one, too, so I, you know, I loved it. I think it's great. I think it, hearing your thoughts, it does so, it is one of the more repetitively, like, good timey soundtracks. Yeah, it got that vibe, but, and also I feel like, because we were talking about what is the scene, what is the moment, and the Jose Feliciano uh, comes close, was there any other moments that, like... No, no, because it's, I mean, I you remember just being like, oh, I love this so much, but, yeah, I, the it's the sort of the visual iconography more than this music. I mean, the music's a great fucking... Right, but the music also just, like, accompanies that, totally. like, sunny Yeah, pace. I... Listen, I, this is that, again, to steal John's wording, uh, that not the hill I'm gonna die on here. Okay. Well, in that case, for number six, do we put Once Upon a Time, or do we have a soft spot for Reservoir Dogs, or how are we feeling? John I, I, I will fight for Reservoir Dogs and Jackie Brown. Over uh, uh, once upon a time. Sounds okay. great to me. Great. All right, once good. Upon once six. upon a time great. in Hollywood. Which, you know, and also like six is not bad. No, no, it's not. It's it's really it's really it's 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 halfway. Yeah. Given the rest of the Tarantinography, the rest of it beat Death Proof. Woo! All right. It beat Kill Bill Volume Two. Yeah. Well, and everything. 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 Literally everything. Death Proof beat Kill Bill Volume Two. All right, we're gonna make enemies for life with this podcast. Why didn't we put Death Proof first? It's fine because we forgot about it. Because that that's we completely forgot about it. It's fine. It's not bad. It's just meh. Yeah, and it's also there's also a lot of music. You know, and it's it's all and it's different and interesting and good. Eh, all right, let's move on. Yeah. Okay, good. So this is for the fans at home that are listening, and I hope you're fans by the end of this. Uh, Reservoir <laughs> Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill Volume 1, and Django Unchained are our remaining candidates. Uh-oh. Now, we've talked a good bit about uh, Django Unchained, a little bit about Reservoir Dogs, so I'm just going to throw it out here. I know Taryn, he just lopped through his nominations out there. He thinks Jackie Brown is going to be next. I will join John Lee in rigorously defending that. Okay. And uh, say yeah. it is a phenomenal soundtrack that I have a lot of strong feelings about. Uh, but Coop, I'm just curious. For the you sake. don't want to know. Oh. You don't want to know what my <laughs> next one is? Just say it. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Do that movie. That soundtrack is mostly just like forgettable surfer music. It's got some... Baller tracks, and you're absolutely. There's nothing more iconic than Miserlou, whatever, mm-hmm. however you say it. But yeah. I was listening to it. I was like, "All right, this is this is a fun surfer." Also, it's like, I was also like, "This is not." Listening to the soundtrack did not put me in the mind the mind like set for watching the movie. I'm like, the movie's like fucking awesome. Not number one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but you know what I mean. I was like, this is not. Well, okay. Th- there's something that needs to be said though about the first three movies, and less so about Kill Bill, but about these first three soundtracks, especially, is that uh, these are dynamic films where basically a lot of the times the characters are in the movies interacting with the songs and right. as such mm-hmm. there is an immediate connection because you can still see Uma Thurman in her mind when she puts on the tape reel and girl you must be you know must be a woman starts playing and her fingers start doing the like kind of wavy gun thing as she like starts listening to it and getting to the vibe and then you think about the uh, the song the twist song that comes mm-hmm. on there the you know Mademoiselle song during also, the Jackrabbit Slims moment but aren't, aren't, and, and this is also my my gut reaction right, right, right. was 
a lot of these songs, I think when I think of Quentin Tarantino, I think of like awesome deep cut music where yeah. you're like, I've never even heard of this, this is fucking great. Where have I why have I not been listening to this my entire life? Whereas when I was listening to Pulp Fiction again, I was like, Song oh, of Preacher Man? These are all pretty well-known music. I mean, this is not... These are it's not, almost like a counter-reaction to Reservoir Dogs. We're like, yeah. okay, now that I have a budget, I want to get the songs that yeah. I want to and, and like, But like, to when we've said this once, to compare it to something a little bit more... It's it's definitely his Guardians 1. Whereas <laughs> I, I think the Guardians 2 soundtrack, I'm like, whoa, fucking Lakeshore Drive is a song? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. I live there. <laughs> <laughs> Don't come find Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I, I did not live on Lake I will Lake. say, I will say, personally, and I I wouldn't necessarily put Pulp Fiction there, but I do want to talk about it a little bit because there was, I agree with you somewhat, like Dusty Springfield, Son of a Preacher Man, pretty obvious or, choice. This is also 1990. Jungle Boogie. Jungle Boogie. Yeah. Apparently like it gave a big career revival to yeah. Cool and the yeah. Gang at the time, too. I'm just also yeah. not very precious about Pulp Fiction. You right. Know what I, mean? I know a lot of people are. But then, the thing that we forget about is for this platinum-selling soundtrack, and do not worry, Jungle Lee you'll have your moment, uh, <laughs> there's still also uh, that uh, If Love is a Red Dress, Hang Me in Rags by Maria McKee. I don't know what the fuck. I don't even fucking... That is such a weird song that I do not like that I keep forgetting, oh, you're on this iconic legendary soundtrack, you weird fucking McKee song. I don't yeah. know. It's just odd. Go ahead. I I, I do... I, I think this is a very... It was a very good um, assessment that this... Now that I have money and I'm going to plan the soundtrack, I'm going to put up the songs that I want. Go all the fucking way. But... Uh, I do think that there are a lot of these songs on here that you're you're if you, even if you don't host a music podcast, you know, uh, and you know not just because they're you know big hits in the seventies, you know because they were big hits again in the nineties uh-huh. because yeah. of, of this the soundtrack. Album. Yeah, you know, and, and Miserloo is a big one. Jungle Boogie is a big one. Let's stay together. Well, that probably could have that was yeah, that was like yeah. that was a hit to begin with. But yeah. like, I think a lot of people. But I mean, I put I had it on a CD because people were burning it off of this fucking soundtrack. Right? Yeah, and I know Son of a like, Preacher Man. Son of a Preacher uh, Man uh, definitely had a resurgence it, because of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, sure. you, you never can tell. Like, there's so many songs in here that, while they are big songs in their own right, um, they are iconically associated with Pulp Fiction. And I can't listen to the soundtrack without feeling something. And this is without even. This is before I watched it for for uh, research for this thing. Like, I, I I instantly associate it, and I could find you two dozen people on the street who instantly associate, uh, a, you know, a son of a preacher man with a specific moment in this movie. Or, or and, uh, I mean, I, 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 my favorite thing is we had the Pulp Fiction soundtrack in that coffee shop I worked in in college, and every once in a while when I wasn't paying attention, I would turn up the music on whatever, like, coffee shop soft modern rock um, was on the, beforehand, because it was like, oh, and then everybody would be like, oh, I love you, but I don't Every fucking mass one of you, miserable, and like everybody in the coffee shop would just be like, <gasps> and there would be like more smiles than a cat, than, <laughs> like because they knew exactly what was going on. Yeah, they were all very excited. By yeah, it. I and I, I just it was like I, an adrenaline needle to the heart for them, really. Exa- exactly. Yeah. I mean, that was a bad joke, but like it's true. <laughs> Well, uh, I don't have that connection to the soundtrack. I just, I I look at it, I'm like, listening to it. Well, the thing is, honestly, and I do mean this in the kindest way, I feel like Pulp Fiction almost falls in the same trap of uh, uh, Reservoir Dogs, in which there are 
utterly undeniable, almost even like genre boundary shaking moments that happen in here with Miserloo, with honestly, uh, Girl, You Must Be a Woman, that just are so shocking. Same with Steeler's Wheel, that just are so incredible and just like, that's in a moment. That's the thing that's going to be imitated for years yeah. and years and years down the line. And I put, I and put then, fiction above Reservoir Dogs. Absolutely, yeah. not even a question. Uh, it's just then. The rest, and it's one of the things where that Maria McKee thing just kind of sticks in my car yeah. a bit of just like I literally keep forgetting that the songs are there. And I don't mind the surf rock songs, they're not like my favorite things ever. But this soundtrack alone was responsible for a surf rock revival that happened in the 90s, mm-hmm. thanks in part to Dick Dale, but also because of the other songs that are on here, which are like cool, great, they're great, but I'm not going to be playing them on the regular. But I still appreciate the fact that they're here. Oh, totally, the impact, yeah. And my, my, the other thing that we, we haven't been talking about a lot is that I like the dialogue on this Pulp Fiction soundtrack better than Fair. I like on I I like the entirety of the dialogue on this soundtrack better than I like the entirety of the dialogue on any other Well, because I mean literally the last song is Ezekiel 2517 which yep. is the Samuel Jackson speech which is belongs on the soundtrack it absolutely <laughs> it belongs on the soundtrack yeah, to the point does. where honestly and I mean this in the kindest way the dialogue from Django Unchained doesn't have that same oof you know I was literally same. just thinking that yeah. That, yeah. that like the dialogue excerpts on Reservoir Dogs, Reservoir Dogs, Reservoir Dogs, and Pulp Fiction are both like those are incredible standalone stretches of yes. words. Whereas right. like yes. the dialogue on Django and Shane, prepare to get winged. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Which and also especially and the thing that I noticed is it more going further in the career, the dialogue is an excuse to put n-words on soundtracks a lot more i feel than the like the poetry of the first couple records like there, there seems like that cool tarantino way of talking yeah. on the first on especially on pulp fiction but there's a lot of like well this n-word now nah, that n-word uh, like it, 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 yeah, it's even yeah. in the fucking title of the dialogue sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And like rewatching a bunch of these movies, you go, "Whoa, hello!" There's oh, especially the Reservoir Dogs, where you really don't yeah. need a single one. Not that you ever need it. That yeah. Right. Right. Preface, right. You never need it. Okay, you know? boomer. All right. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but I will yeah. say, here's the one thing. So we've been talking about this for a good bit. Here's where I personally stand with it. Cool. Um, I agree that Pulp Fiction surprisingly isn't a flawless soundtrack, but out of all these things, I also don't feel like Django is a perfect soundtrack. But if I was to put a number five on here of everything we talked about, I'm putting Reservoir Dogs here. Yeah, 100% agree. Okay, so after our discussion, I think I might be switching to Django Unchained next. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Listen, Django's not number one, but I, I put it above Reservoir Dogs. Okay. It's just in terms of memorable songs. Like I fucking jock to fucking the Unchained song with Tupac, you know, and James yeah. Brown. Like, that thing, uh, that I will say, is, yeah. Did my, my favorite takeaway from this entire motherfucking thing though was uh, Un Momento, uh, Un Momento yeah. by Ennio Marconi because he has this oh. weird like vocal effect that goes on in the background. This ooh, like it's yeah. this type of thing. It's like a running through a filter or something. Monumento. Yeah, like and. A Monumental. Yeah, and yeah. it's just so fucking good. And it's that thing where I just kind of realized Morricone did fucking everything. Like, it was just like, it was such a beautiful production yeah. effect and not something yeah. I would expect but from a that composer. That was the, the one that he wrote for this. No, no the one no, he wrote it for it, I remember, is a lot fucking worse. Uh, the one oh, that he wrote yeah. for this was uh, Ancora Qui. Uh, oh, oh, exactly. oh, it, it was a co. 
he yeah, did it with someone else. With yeah. Lisa, who was the singer. And uh, just, I remember like, oh, was that the one? Oh, no, it's yeah. a lot I worse. I don't hate Yeah, I don't love it. But that last yeah, song, not, yeah. that last song where he he's you know burned down the mansion yeah. or the plantation and, then, the face. and he, yeah, yeah and he rides off with Hillary. I'm like oh this oh this is so fucking right. cool. That's the thing with Django. I'm like oh this is so fucking cool. And except for like a hundred black coffins where you're like oh this is a this is a serious this is confrontational right here. Listen, okay, in that case, if we went ahead and if we put Django Unchained at five, followed by uh, Reservoir Dogs at four. I'm in a universe where I feel like I could live with that. I could live with that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do that? I okay. can. Guys, we're getting down to the fucking wire now. In that case, that is uh, Django Unchained at number five. That is Reservoir Dogs at number four, which leaves three little movies called Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, and Kill Bill Volume 1. Two what? of those are my favorites. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Two yeah. of them are my favorites ever. And, yeah. and I think this is, we're getting to the nitty gritty this here. This is splitting hairs. Um, and, I, and one of the things about uh, Jackie Brown, because we haven't talked about Jackie Brown. Oh, let's talk about fucking Jackie uh, Brown. One of the things that I, <laughs> I love about Jackie Brown is independent of the movie, this is a good fucking playlist. Thank you. That's oh, probably yeah. my biggest takeaway oh, out yeah. of all of these. Okay. Is that it is just uh, fucking yeah. solid as shit. Tara needs to tell briefly his story involving Strawberry Letter 23, though. Oh. <laughs> no, this is, this is goofy. I just, I have on no less than four separate occasions called my dad and been like, Dad, What's the song that's like do 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 do? And he's like, Taryn, it's still Strawberry Life 23. When he's gonna fuck with you, like 24, you're like, which one is that? No, and now I remember it because I've done that so many times. But I just like I would hear it in public or like I saw a cover band do it once, and I was like, what? I know this song. What is? It doesn't have any lyrics. I can't Google it. It's um, so good. There are, even though Tennessee Stud, I know, is more of a different kind of vibe that goes on here, there's just so many things I like on this motherfucking soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I'm even willing to forgive. I understand the importance of having a Pam Greer song uh, being used on here because it has been the Pam Greer revival. She's a terrible singer, and it's a terrible <laughs> song. I like that it's here, though. Right? I understand what it represents, totally. you know, in terms of, yeah, having it back. Also, across 110 I oh mean... Across oh. I can't do anything listening to that song. I just... Group. I like I this group is the only activity. I vibe oh, so hard. Yeah. Yeah. movie mm-hmm. which is for me also like I had late late uh, in life I think it was in college when I finally heard Street Life and it really affected Ooh. me the Street Life burn it, burn. Yeah. and then it was that whole string down doodly, doodly, and then it's just yeah. kind of this rising street action that's going on it's just like oh mm-hmm. fuck yeah and you're just in it oh it's so fucking good. That's the thing, like, I'm surprised it's being nominated because it's like, I understand there's a couple songs, like, I really don't need The Lion and the Cucumber by fucking the Vampire Sound. I like that song. Yeah, it's fine. Like, yeah. I, I liked it a lot more than I thought I was gonna, like, a second and third time I went through yeah. that album, yeah. I was like, you know what, I don't hate this. <laughs> right. I mean, you know what's really annoying? What? Didn't I blow your mind this time? But it's such a lovely scene. Well, I like it. But I'm all, Didn't but I'm I blow your mind this time? It's good. It's not, yeah. Yeah, it's like fine, but oh, then also like natural high. 
Oh, like, that's fucking love that. Re- oh, I okay. love that. Yeah. I really do. I'm, literally, there's nothing on here that I wouldn't listen to. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, it's like, it's like, well, okay, I didn't like the Foxy Brown song, personally. Like, that is one where it feels like, I understand it was scoring a completely different scene as a song in the soundtrack. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, um, you know, it's fine. And th- th- this is also a, one of those soundtracks, and I think we're, we haven't, I, I, we could have, we talked a little bit about it in the Django, where this is a, this is a genre movie. Yes. And this is music of that genre, in a lot of ways. This is very evocative of that genre, but also in a, in a, in a, we're getting an older Pam Greer. It's like older people who, back in the day, there was this black exploitation sort of like funk music. There's mm-hmm. this this kind of like the things that were popular in that style of. of the, why isn't there more Curtis Mayfield on here? Um, but like, <laughs> yeah, who knows? Um, but um, he, he got Bill Withers instead. Yeah, right. exactly. which, yeah. is, which is do do do. But but it it, it it does feel like that. This is you listening to this soundtrack. You understand exactly the kind of movie it is, and it's also older music dealing with a lot of older people. Um, oh, um, that's from, a good point. From yeah. all, all four of the, the big agree. names in this movie. Well, there's that scene uh, after she plays the record too, when mm-hmm. the, the Delphonic song. You though I don't love the song, and then he goes like he hasn't really lived pop music, so he goes to a record store and gets a cassette and looks at all the Delphonics on the walls. Like I guess I'll be listening to Delphonics now because he's still thinking about her. And this he's is so adorable. He is so adorable. Rest in peace. Exactly. One of the things where, like, honestly, like, looking at it, um, Jackie Brown is honestly the reason I thought this would be a good idea to do a podcast in the first place, because this was a case where I genuinely thought Mm -hmm. the soundtrack was, like, not saying that it's better than the movie, but, like, what a fucking soundtrack. That was my biggest thing. I love the movie, too. However, here's the other thing I say. We're talking about all of them right now. So if Mm -hmm. i got to be honest now, we've talked about Pulp Fiction, and I thought going into this week, Jackie Brown was going to be my low-key number one. Nope. No, one. it's not. That's all I'm saying. Oh. Uh, so, does it, your number one maybe have the number one in its title? Maybe it does. <laughs> I don't know. But we can talk about it. Do we? How do we feel? We about haven't talked about yeah, it. Let's talk about it. So here's the thing about Kill Bill Volume One. A couple problems. One, sound effects at the end. What the <laughs> fuck is up with that shit? I mean, Number two, O to Oren Ishii. Half, half Japanese Shut the fuck up. Okay, also, also, oh. also, half Japanese, half Chinese, half American. That's not how fractions work, Riza. <laughs> That's not how math works. After that, after all of that. Because here's the thing. It's like my number one. In, even with all that, I'm like, oh, it's so fucking it's good. It's so fucking yeah. good. Oh. Opening with Bang Bang My Baby Shot Me oh. Down by Nancy Snug. This is one, it's almost even more than Pulp Fiction. I see every, every scene so fucking yeah. Every drop of every, blood. Yeah. Every single goddamn scene. Yeah. Because it's, it's it by this point, even though like Jackie Brown wasn't the huge success that he wanted it to be, like... When he was making Kill Bill, he had the clout from his first three movies to do literally whatever the fuck he right, wanted. Yeah. So he did exactly that. Exactly. And you kind of hear that in these song selections. It is all over the goddamn place, but the it also minute. has plenty of like classically iconic, like Green Hornet. Like yeah. that is a that is a classically you know, iconic song. Ironside. Every time that yeah. fucking plays, I'm like, oh yeah. my god, this is the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting so excited. I know, exactly. But because there's that, even honestly, the Isaac Hayes, Ray Fay Fun, like such a great mm-hmm. percussive build I, to some. Oh Ray my Faye god. Ray Fay Fun? What is it? Run Fay Run? Run Fay Run. <laughs> 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 Ray Fay Fun. I would have gone into the hymn, you know? 
But like that is such a, like that percussive build is so great, and I just think about that uh, Orenishi uh, anime sequence that happens, mm-hmm. and it's just oh, like yeah. so powerful. And like all, and of course the twisted nerve fucking taking the goddamn uh, Whistler song from yeah. Sound of Music and recontextualizing it in a horrifying and amazing way. Oh my I, god! I still I had completely forgotten that's even where that was from. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's it is. So, like it's so like. Seared into my brain, the like the eye patch walking around the hospital. Is like, yep. how can you think of anything else when you hear that? Honestly, right. if I oh. saw Sound of Music and that started happening, I'd be freaked the uh, fuck uh, out. Uh, I I did watch Sound of Music yeah. after I saw this movie. And I was like, <laughs> 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 and then, oh my god, preparing for the fight with Oren Ishii yeah. and having to open into a place that maybe misunderstood yeah. just going on is just also, incredible. There were fourteen unreleased tracks from this movie, which you could release as another soundtrack, and it would be yeah. just as fucking good. Ah, yeah, yeah. It's just like. I get so excited about it. I mean, the thing is, as with we all do, we all have very strong connections with very specific Tarantino movies, yeah. which is completely under- un- understandable. But the Kill Bill Volume 1 soundtrack, he's digging in. He is finding these obscure things and making them the popular things they are. Doing that with Battle of Honor and Humanity, and inexplicably the 5, 6, 7, 8. Mm-hmm. Battle of Honor and Humanity, that is just such... I don't know how anyone else didn't discover that fucking amazing you song. You can put that again. song against any song. That, that, yeah. It's a battle without oh, honor sorry, apologies, and humanity. Apologies, yes. Uh... There is no honor in humanity there. Also, I think it's... I've said this a lot on the podcast, but the cover of Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood, it's over 10 minutes long. It is. I don't mind. I don't mind. It is so immaculately produced and arranged and performed that I'm just like, yeah, yeah give well, it to me. It was an ending when I was listening to it and I looked at how much, I was like, oh, there's four, there's like four or five minutes mm-hmm. left and I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna do it. Unlike yeah. the fucking Bedlam uh, fucking uh, and Magic Moody. Carpet Ride where oh, it's just oh, like, it's like, like, five minutes long and you're like, stop. Holy shit, guys. Please stop. You're like, I'm okay with mortality. Um, yeah, it's really Ooh. fucking great, guys. I don't know what other way it, to describe it. And I do, and I and I, I think it embraces its camp, and it, oh, and it yeah. and because it embraces the camp, it like embraces the flaws and the silliness of it. Yeah. So like ending it with axe throws. Yeah. Somehow feels. Appropriate. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it's not like we're getting eighteen minutes of these sound right. effects. Right. Right. I mean, that's yeah. there's there's you know seven tracks of sound effects and excerpts like you know various sound cues at the end. One of them is but, Ironside. But no. also, right. I can't. But like the last enough. five tracks together are less than a yeah. minute. Exactly. Yeah. And but also you hear like the the sword swings. Mm-hmm. I, I was like. Oh my god, he did use that like a ton for every yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it was so cool. And it was like it's yeah. uh, like I can picture it perfectly. <sighs> oh, that sounds like cool. Okay, well guys, listen. I we have to call it at some point here. Okay. I'm just throwing it out there. This is me. We can talk, we can vote, but number three has to be pulp fiction. I agree. Sure. <laughs> well it sounds like I'm gonna get voted. Um I I what would you put there instead? I I think it does more than Reservoir. I think and and, and like we talk Res- about Reservoir Dogs. 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 Sorry, Sorry, never mind. Never mind. Yeah. What it's are we talking about? Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, um, Kill Bill Volume. Oh yeah, never mind. Pulp Fiction. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, guys. I think we know. What
What's going on? That's right. So let's do it, guys. Yeah, let's yeah. make it happen. Oh, I did in the wrong order. Yeah, I was like, yeah. yeah. Number ten is Kill Bill Volume Two. Number nine is The Hateful Eight. Number eight is uh, Death Proof. Number seven is Inglorious Bastards. Number six, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number five, Django Unchained. Number four, Reservoir Dogs. Number three, Pulp Fiction. Number two, Jackie Brown. And you know what number one is? Four Rooms. It's an incredible experience. Oh What's the director's coming? No, it is Kill Bill Volume 1. And guys, we did it. I don't know how we did it, but we did it. And we have a lot more to talk about. That's why we have a Happy Hour Minnesota after this. But in the meantime, though, Tara and Dave, John, thank you so much oh, for I'm being here. I'm a huge fan of this ranking. Yeah. I mean, it's great. Um, yeah. I, I think we're all still going to be friends tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I wasn't sure. Of <laughs> well, guys, here's the thing. Do us a favor. If you like Junglies and Teske and Dave Koo, please give us a review on the iTunes or, you know, like us on Spotify or subscribe or whatever the heck you do. We're in all the places now. We're a thing now. Follow them on Instagram. I mentioned at the beginning. I will not mention them again. And more importantly, though, thank you so much for listening. And keep on listening because guess what? You know it will be. Have a good one, guys. Goodbye. Welcome to the Review Universe promo! The Review Universe with Chris and Steve is a podcast about two men who are hired to review everything in the universe. We're stuck in a tiny room together filled with pneumatic tubes while two shadowy figures dictate what we have to review next. Anything from pizza to pop stars to the entire state of Wisconsin. A new episode every Thursday wherever you get your podcasts. We give this promo a 100 out of 100. <laughs>